Let's pray. Oh, God, beautiful Savior, that's Jesus. Where would we be without him? We wouldn't be here, that's for sure. Thank you for every way you've been speaking to our hearts all through this service. We have been maxed out with blessings. A few more minutes, Father. Save a few blessings for these moments in your word. We humbly pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Happy anniversary to you. Happy anniversary to you. Happy anniversary, dear Protestants. Happy anniversary to you. Huh? You want me to sing it again? (laughs) Hey, guys, 503 years ago this very moment, October 31, 1517, a young Augustinian monk strides with determination across the leaf-strewn village center of that tiny town called Wittenberg. In one hand, he has his hammer and some nails. In the other hand, he has a parchment with his own inked words. Ninety-five challenges, 95, to the reigning church of the dark and bloody Middle Ages. Martin Luther, I got to see my man, Martin Luther. There he is, Martin Luther has no idea. This obscure monk in Germany has no idea that with every blow of that hammer, he is breaking the hegemony of that Middle Ages church. He has no clue that with every blow of that mallet, he is launching the greatest reformation in the history of this earth. The Protestant Reformation. And guess what? You and I are children of that Reformation. 503 years ago, the Reformation was launched. Happy anniversary, everybody. So here's the question. Is the Reformation over? I have a book in my library written by an evangelical Protestant scholar named Mark Knoll. Taught at Notre Dame and then headed over to Wheaton. The title of the book, that very question, Is the Reformation Over? An Evangelical Assessment of Contemporary Roman Catholicism. I'll put his words on the screen. Let's look at Mark Knoll. A number of the dialogues between Roman Catholic and evangelical scholars that have been taking place led to the cancellation of anathemas, curses, curse you, curse you back. And that's what was happening back then. Now, go, thank you. Let, no, no, go back, please. <laughs> led to the cancellation of anathemas that had been issued during the Reformation. Ooh, what's going on here? The cumulative results of these dialogues record a momentous shaking of once-settled ground. Hmm. On the basis of the ecumenical dialogues, can it be said that the Reformation is over? Probably not. But a once-yawning chasm has certainly narrowed. We're going to come back to that word in a moment. Is the Reformation over? (laughs) I suppose that we have a mutual enemy who is pouring every ounce of diabolical energy that he possesses into bringing that Reformation to a whimpering halt on this planet. Luther knew all about that enemy. He lived in a world where the devil was real. We're so sophisticated today, we don't even have the devil. Ah, who has it? Who believes in that? 
Luther believed in the devil. Now, Luther, the big salvation by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ champion, he believed in the devil. He fought the devil. In fact, scholars are not sure whether they can deny or verify the story that has remained. When he was in the Wartburg Castle, hiding, he had a death sentence on his head. While there, he was so harassed by our mutual enemy. You've been there. His conscience, the devil always working on his conscience, the devil plaguing all the details around him. So ex- exasperated, he took a little ink well, because they wrote by ink, and he threw it, he hurled it against a plaster wall. That's how real the devil was to him. It's interesting that since 1650, for almost 300 years, that uh, room where Luther was writing was open to the public. Tourists came from 1650 to 100 years ago. And what happened to that blue plaster ink spot on the wall? It's not there today. You can go and you can see that, in fact, the plaster is all gone. Souvenir hunters, piece by piece by piece over 300 years, have removed the wall and the, and the uh, ink splot. Hey, listen, our legacy is not the plaster on that wall. Our legacy today on this campus and in this country, the largest Protestant country on earth and the most powerful, our legacy today is the battle Luther launched to break the hegemony of the devil on America. Yeah, Luther wrote the great battle hymn of the Protestant Reformation, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, and he includes this stanza, And though this world with devils fills should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God has willed his truth to triumph through us. This is a Next to the last in this series, American Apocalypse. You want to see something you've never seen before regarding America? Open your Bible with me right now. Next to the last time. The Apocalypse. Revelation chapter 16, please. Revelation chapter 16. Our scripture reading just a moment ago. Revelation chapter 16. I'm in the New International Version. Let's go. Verse 13. Then I saw three impure spirits that looked like frogs. Anybody like frogs here? No, frogs are ugly. Come on. Frogs are ugly. We're talking about green ugly. Why would we show up? Why why, why do frogs show up here? Oh, that's right. Before God delivered that nation of slaves and liberated them, frogs are one of the ten plagues over Egypt, weren't they? Before God delivers his friends on earth, in the seven last plagues, There'll be a plague with frogs. There it is. Then I saw three impure spirits that looked like frogs. They came out of the mouth of the dragon. They came out of the mouth of the beast. This is what's going on. John's watching this. And they came out of the mouth of the false prophet. What's going on here? Well, we know those three creatures. We know the dragon. Who's the dragon? Through that mask, let me just see your lips move. Who's the dragon? We already know it's the devil, that old serpent called Satan. So we know who the dragon is. Who's the sea beast? 
the sea beast that was wounded in 1798, that ruled during the dark, bloody Middle Ages, that would disappear for a while. But before the end, the apocalypse is predicting it will surge into global dominion and dominance. Who's that sea beast? Yeah, that's the one Luther went for. But hey, wait a minute. Who's this, who's this false prophet? We've never run into him before. This is the first time we have. You're right. You remember there was a, an earth beast? You remember that? This earth beast that came up just as the sea beast is getting wounded. You remember that? This earth beast that came up in the New World far away from the peopled thoroughfares of Europe. This earth beast that would champion for two and a half centuries the, little, the twin liberties of civil and religious freedom that would spring up at the end of the 1700s and become a global superpower. There's only one nation that matches that description, and we know who it is. We've already spent time on that. That's America. So who's this false prophet then? Because that's the earth beast. This is a false prophet. Uh, just go to uh, Revelation chapter 19, and it will, it will show you that the false prophet is another name for the earth beast. Because the earth beast begins as a political power that dominates the world, but before the earth beast is finished, he will become a false religious power, a false prophet. That's what's going on. Okay. Let's pick it up. Uh, verse 13 again. We'll read 14. Then I saw three impure spirits that looked like frogs. They came up out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. They are demonic spirits that perform signs. Demonic spirits. Can you see spirits? No. Spirits are of another order than you and I are. But they will perform signs. The only way that you can see a sign is if you see it, because a sign is only a sign when it's seen. They will perform signs that will be seen. Verse 14, they are demonic spirits that perform signs and they go out to the kings, the presidents, and the prime ministers of the whole world to gather them for the battle on the great day of God Almighty. We are talking about the last great showdown battle that the entire history of this fallen planet has been headed toward, the final showdown. This is it. This is it. Three ugly demonic spirits to set the stage for this withering attack. You want to know who's given the orders to these three demonic spirits? I'll show you who's given the order. You may never have read this passage before in your life. I'd like you to find it. Good luck. It's in 2 Thessalonians. That's in the New Testament. 2 Thessalonians. You've got to go back towards, uh, towards the Gospels. Don't go too far. You'll come into Timothy, and you get to Timothy. Go a little bit beyond Timothy, and you're going to get to 2 Thessalonians. I want you to see this in your own Bible. Sure, I'm going to put the words on the screen, but see them in your, see these words in your own Bible. So this is the Apostle Paul writing. He's going to be tuned in with the Apostle John. They're just like this. They're just like this in what they're describing. Watch this. This is chapter 2 of 2 Thessalonians. Drop down to verse 3. Paul writing, don't let anyone deceive you in any way. Uh-oh. I want you to listen carefully to what Paul is telling us. Because whatever follows, it's going to be deception. <laughs> I'm not surprised. Do you know who the deceiver is going to be? Who do you think the deceiver is going to be? 
the one who has dealt with deception from the very beginning of human time. It's the devil. Do not, how does it go here? Do, don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. Come on, come on, what's going on? Deception is the name of the game. And guess who's the source? The source is Satan. Jesus minces no words. This is the toughest I've ever heard Jesus speak, except for the woes, except for the woes. Watch this, John, John 8, 44. These are the words of Christ, gentle Jesus, meek and mild, not today. You, he's talking to the religious leaders, you belong to your father. I know who your daddy is, the devil. And you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. And then Jesus just rolls his sleeves up because now here comes when he lies, the devil, he speaks his native language. Oh, I like the NFV's rendition. He speaks his native tongue. That's all he can do is lie, 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 lie. For he is a liar and the father of lies. He is a pathological liar. Once in a while, you meet a pathological liar who no longer knows that she, that he is telling lies. No longer knows it. The devil does not know. He is, lives. He's soaked in deception. Wow. Verse 3 again. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. Now, that word lawlessness is a huge key because lawlessness means there's someone who has a law that the devil has been gunning for from the beginning, and that someone is God. God has ruled this universe in a benevolent rulership from the beginning of eternity, which is beyond our comprehension. He's always had a law. He had a law for the human race. And this enemy, this man of lawlessness, the puppeteer behind him, has been seething for the chance to destroy that law at every single turn. So there is a Sabbath tucked away in the geometric literary heart of the Ten Commandments. I'm not surprised, come to find out, that Lucifer has had his, had his claws and his eyes on the Sabbath from the get-go. He's a man of... Any, any front that he has will be lawless. It will be lawless. It will not be by the Ten Commandments. No, 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 no. That's Seventh-day Sabbath, gifted by the Creator, written with the Creator's finger in, in granite. I'm not surprised Lucifer would, with fangs and claws would go for that Sabbath, the day the Creator gave to his earth children. Hey, this is a friendship day. We're enjoying one right now. This is a friendship day. It's just you and me. We'll have a great time. Get together with your friends this afternoon, but make sure that I'm a part of that. Just make sure I'm a part of that because this is our day. Get him. Kill it. Kill it. Uh, Verse 4, this man of lawlessness, what's he going to do? He will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshiped so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be what? To be God. 503 years ago today, Martin Luther, that young priest, took on the deception that this verse describes. 
Martin Luther. Don't you ever sell yourself short. One boy, one girl, one young man, one not-so-young woman. That's all it takes is one. And God ignites the fire. Wow, that could be you. We need a reformation again. You could be it. I'm looking at some mass faces and thinking you'd be perfect. Yeah. All right. Let's read verse 4 again and drop down to verse 9. He will oppose this power, this man of lawlessness. He will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worship so that he sets himself in God's temple proclaiming himself to be God. Verse 9, and the coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with how Satan works. He will use all sorts of displays of power through signs. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Didn't we just read about these demonic signs, the, the green frogs? Oh, now we know who's behind the green frogs. He will use all sorts of displays of power through signs and wonders, through signs and wonders that serve the what? The what? The lie. He's a liar, liar, pants on fire kind of liar. It's pathological. You can't help it. Well, what lie is he talking about? He says, that served the lie. Hey, hey, how about if we take, how about if we take the very first lie Lucifer ever told on this planet? Let's just take the first lie. I mean, the rest would all fit in. What first lie are you talking about, Dwight? I'm talking about when Lucifer in, in, encased himself in this shining, brilliant serpent that's entwined into this gorgeous tree and he's looking down and his eyes, his dark eyes, catch the eyes of this beautiful girl who's walking by. Girl. I'm talking about the lie that he hissed at her. You shall not surely die. You're not going to die, girl. Get off. Get off of that. God's just trying to scare you. He's afraid you're going to be like him. Trust me. You do not die. Liar, liar, pants on fire. How did Jesus put it? John 8, 44, there is no truth in him, for when he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. You are not going to die. You are not going to die. It's the first lie, and it's still being told all over this planet. Every major religion, every major philosophy on this planet deals with the thought that after death, there's something else. When you die, you don't die. You'll go to heaven. You go to hell. You go to purgatory. You, go, you enter into nirvana, you go on. Incarnation, you just keep going on. You will not die. Wow. So it's no surprise. When the creator of this earth comes to earth, comes down to this planet, and he puts on humanity... It's no surprise that he will find a moment when he will go straight for that lie and abolish it. He will shatter that lie, and I'm going to show it to you right now. You're not going to believe this. He is so gentle. He's so smooth. He shatters that lie. Watch this. Everybody knows the beloved story of Lazarus in John 11, right? John 11. We all love that story. Jesus is far away from Mary and Martha, but they dash him a note. The one you love is sick, meaning... 
please come quickly and heal our brother before he dies. But Jesus strangely continues to mosey around. No urgency in his heart at all, it doesn't seem. And finally, a few days go by and he, he turns to his disciples. He said, yo, guys, these words, John 11. He says, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. Hmm. But I'm going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, we never joined the Boy Scouts, but we have all learned the, the premise that when you're ill, you need your sleep. That's exactly what they said to him. Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death. Keep reading. But his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then Jesus told them plainly, hey, guys, I need to tell you this. Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there so that you may believe. Isn't that amazing? That the great giver of human life, of all life, chooses to define death as a sleep. Wow. Lazarus has fallen asleep. Hey, boys, he's dead. But I'm going to wake him up. Come along. You'll believe. And that's exactly what Jesus says to Martha when she finds out he's at the, he's at the outskirts of little village Bethany. She races out to him and he falls on the ground sobbing. If you'd only been here earlier, what were you thinking? Jesus says, Martha, Martha, listen to me. Now, these are the great words of John 11, 25, and 26. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die forever. Well, you have to put the word forever in because Lazarus died and he believed in Jesus. So he doesn't mean you won't die at all. He means you won't die forever. Whoa. Why? Because for the life giver, death is nothing more than a sleep. A sleep that you and I can be awakened from when Jesus returns on that glorious resurrection morning. If he, if he doesn't come soon, we're all going to be sleeping. But that's okay, because I need to show you how long death lasts. Some of you are afraid of death because you're, you're, there's something in your mind that says, boy, when I die, it's going to be really bad. I need to tell you what happens when you die. Do you know how long death is? Watch this. Watch this. Do you know how long death is? Eyes. Eyes close in death. So the last moment of cognition or you breathe your last, whichever happens, and it can happen either way, your eyes close, right? Yeah, your eyes close. When that resurrection morning comes and Jesus wakes you up, guess what? Eyes open. So watch this. Now watch this. This is death. This is how long death lasts. Eyes close, eyes open. That's it. That's it. There's nothing to be afraid of. Death is asleep. It's like you fell asleep in the arms of your Savior who's holding you, saying, sleep on, baby. I'll waken you soon. Hang on. We all know this. You have, a, you have an exhausting day wherever you spent that day, and when your head hits the pillow, you are gone. In fact, we call it dead to the world, don't we? Yeah, you're gone. The next thing you know is that... Alarm, just beep, 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 beep. What happened in between? I don't know. Did you see anything? No. I was, I was just tired. Did you do anything? 
I didn't do a thing. I went to sleep, eyes closed, eyes open. That is death to the life giver who created human life. Even with sin ruling on this planet, he says, I've taken the thorn out of that. Even with sin ruling, this is death. Of all the philosophies of death on this planet today, existential or otherwise, this teaching of the Bible is the most satisfying teaching of death of anybody, anywhere. In fact, let's put this on the screen because I don't want you to miss this. Seventy times, seventy times, Jesus and the Bible writers describe death as a sleep from which you can be awakened. Leave that up on the, jot that down, will you? Seventy times. Somebody comes and says, hey, come on. That's only Jesus and John 11. Wrong. Seventy times in Holy Scripture, death is described as a sleep. Whoa. Satan is a liar. Or the truth is, when you die, you don't go to heaven, you don't go to hell, you don't go to purgatory, you go to sleep. That's death. It could not be better. Bad news could not be better. Because it's awful. None of us wants to die. But if you're going to die, that's it. Yeah, but Dwight, who cares? Come on, this big deal. Why, why are you going into all this death thing? Ah, because I need you. It's a very good question that you raised, by the way. A fair question. I need you to see how the end game that we just read in Revelation 16, the truth about death, the Bible's truth, is absolutely critical because of these three ugly demonic spirits that go across the planet and they do signs. It means you see them. They do signs. They do signs. I need you to know what those signs are about. It's going to have to do with that first lie. I mean, can you, can you imagine how convincing it would be for you and me if our beloved mother or father or spouse or child, middle of the night, shh, who is that? If they showed up where we were sleeping in the middle of the night, can you not imagine how gripping that would be? Mommy. Hey, Mommy. Mommy. sent me. He wants you to know everything's okay. I'm all right. I'm in heaven now. He wants me to come back in a few days to bring a message to you. Bye, mommy. I love you. What mother would not be wild with grief and joy realizing she's established contact with that precious little girl that is buried in the ground? Oh, my. Talking about overwhelming the senses. And that's the key. The senses say, my baby's here. My baby's here. You don't think the dragon, you don't think Satan can pull that one off? Oh, think again. Watch this. Second Corinthians chapter 11, verse 14. And no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. Look it. If he wants to show up in front of you, 
You'll be on your face. You will be on your face. But it's not just him. Watch this next line. It is not surprising then if his servants, those are the angel demons, the fallen angels, also masquerade as servants of righteousness, beings of light from heaven. Can you imagine demonic spirits moving all over the face of this earth, showing up where nobody expects them to show up? They're going to the kings. So Winston Churchill shows up at the prime minister's office or his bedroom in England. And he says, oh, you're having a tough, a bloody mess down here right now, isn't it? Oh, I remember what I went through. Listen, every mannerism, every peculiar characteristic, these masquerading demons, they know it perfectly. A silent pet name a secret pet name that you and your spouse shared? A touching detail nobody else on earth even knows about? The being says, it's me. I've been sent to you from heaven. We're in a mess down here. But I have a way. Jesus is going to come and set us free. Oh, guys, the truth about what happens at death is absolutely critical for that moment when the green frogs fan out over the earth with their deception. But the crowning, the crowning, come on, put this on the screen for us, the the apocalyptic classic. At the end, we're going to give you an opportunity to get this book for free. Put this on the screen, the great controversy. As the crowning act in the great drama of deception, which he has been at from the beginning of human history, Satan himself will personate whom? 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 He will show up. And that book tells us that there's only one physical description of Jesus in the New Testament. It's in Revelation 1. White hair, golden sash. He will show up just like that because it's the only one we recognize. And he will say, it's me. See the nail scars? It's me. This is the strong, almost overmastering delusion. If you believe, seeing is believing, and we're in a generation right now that believes seeing is believing, seeing is believing. I only will see it if I see it on a screen. If I can see it on a screen, virtual reality, forget it. If I can see it, I believe it. If we live in a culture where seeing is believing, you will be dead meat. When Christ himself stands in front of CNN's cameras and every eye sees him. And he says, it is I. He knows the gospels backwards and forwards. He will speak with a melodious voice. Come to me. You who labor and are heavy laden, come, come, come. And I'll give you rest. I tell you what, the whole planet will be on their faces. There will be a band of people who said, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. This, can, this cannot be. This cannot be. Look at that line. Are the people of God so firmly established upon his word that they would not yield to the evidence of their senses? Don't believe what you see. Don't believe what you see. Who Would they in such a crisis cling to the Bible and the Bible only? You haven't spent much time in this book, but I'm telling you what, this series came along at just the right time to begin to introduce to us history in advance. That's what the apocalyptic prophecies are. It's history in advance. You need to know there's a massive test coming. You know the finals on this campus? They're nothing. They're nothing. 
There's a test coming for the human race, and only those people who, like Jesus, say, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, only those boys and girls, young men and young women, only those men and women who have turned here. You can't wait till the crisis to turn. Crises do not make a believer. Crises reveal a believer. They do not make a believer. You cannot wait till the crisis comes. There is a crisis coming. Don't neglect the Word of God. And that's why this teaching, people say, why do we have to do prophecy, prophecy, prophecy? Because we're living on the edge, that's why. And you're not responsible for, for feeding this community. We have to go here. Some of you have never heard any of this in your life because nobody's talked about it. I'll leave you one verse more. Isaiah 8. Isaiah 8, verse 19, and when they say to you, seek those who are mediums and wizards, Harry Potter, Harry Potter, Harry Potter. <laughs> what was Harry Potter? It's all about setting up the demonic spirits. That's all it was, just setting it up. Uh, parents were taking their children, boys and girls, five, six years old, Harry Potter, Harry Potter. What was it? Now I'm comfortable with wizards. It's not a big deal. You get the dead conjure up. It doesn't matter. When they say to you, seek those who are mediums and wizards, who whisper and mutter, should not a people seek their God? You, you want to know about the dead? Go to God. Should they seek the dead on behalf of the living? No, no, no. The next verse, to the law and to the testimony. That's this right here. To the law and to the testimony, if they do not speak according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. That's the only way Seeing is believing will be put on the skids in your mind and life. You say, it can't be. It just can't be. It just cannot be. It was never to be this way. Only this book will carry you through. Martin Luther's champion principle from the, from the Protestant Reformation, sola scriptura, solely from the Bible, solely from Scripture. It's time to reclaim that legacy and to become a people of the Word. It is time. It is past time. Amen. At the peril of your soul, you will neglect this book. At the peril of your soul, you will neglect this book. But Dwight, I need to study this more. Connect card in a moment. Okay. I have to share this with you. Then I'm going back to Mark. No, I promise you I'd come back. Uh, this is great controversy. This is, a, this, is a, this is a profound statement. You know that the satanic trinity? This is how the satanic trinity merges and takes action. Through the two great errors, what are they? What are the two great lies or deceptions? The immortality of the soul. Oh, when you die, you keep on living. That would be a lie. Mm -hmm. The immortality of the soul and Sunday sacredness. That's the day that God is blessed. What? Yeah, through the two great errors, Satan will bring the people under his deceptions. Keep reading. While the former, spiritism, lays a foundation of spiritualism, this is the occult. The occult is nothing but uh, spiritism. While the former lays the foundation of spiritualism, the latter, Sunday sacredness, creates a bond with, of sympathy with Rome. Why? Because Rome says, <laughs> we invented Sunday. <laughs> you are following not the Bible. It's very clear the Bible is Seventh-day Sabbath. You're following us. Just admit it. Fall in line. Let's go. 
The Protestants of the United States will be foremost in stretching their hands across the gulf to grasp the hand of spiritualism. And then they got another hand. They will reach over the abyss to clasp the hands with the Roman power. And then what? And under the influence of this tripartite, this threefold union, this country, America, will follow in the steps of Rome in trampling on the rights of conscience. What we were famous for will be gone. Those words of Mark Knoll, do I put them back on the screen? Okay, here they are. On the basis of the ecumenical dialogues, can it be said that the Reformation is over? Probably not. But a once yawning, what's this word? Chasm. A once yawning chasm has certainly narrowed. You're getting closer. You're getting closer. Okay, now put the great controversy right below it, please. The Protestants of the United States will be foremost, lead the way, in stretching their hands across the gulf. You see this word gulf? You see this word chasm? It's the same word. Great controversy is saying what Noel is projecting, the Bible is predicting. That bridge will be built. That bridge will be built. Wow. Listen, folks, it's not a matter of if this will come to pass in America. It is now a matter of when in America this will come to pass. America, America, God shed his grace on thee and crown thy good with brotherhood from sea to shining sea. That America. We must pray for America right now. The nearly interminable election season is about to end in three days, or maybe it's three weeks. I don't know. Maybe it's three months. I, no, nobody knows. <laughs> nobody knows. But of this I am sure. When the results are finally announced, 50% of this country will be deeply disappointed and no doubt angry. They say, Dwight, what a, what a guy you are. You're looking at the glasses half empty. Why don't you make it half full? Okay. 50% of this country will try to celebrate all the while realizing their nation is divided, as divided and fractured as it has ever been and the election has not solved America's deepest problems. Is that better? I love this country. I sorrow for America. I belong to no political party, never have and never will. But I think the heart of God, it must kill him. This fractious mess the enemy has fomented in this nation. USA Today carried a story earlier this month, reported on a survey, an online survey that I'm quoting now, finds a majority of U.S. adults believe the country is on the verge of a second civil war. Are you, are you serious? A second civil war? You believe that? Gun sales are going up right now like crazy. Wow. Listen, folks, it's a long, it is long beyond the time for blame, for we are all culpable. We have not loved one another as we should. 
We have not served one another as we could have. And perhaps we've hoped that this election might somehow solve our country's ills and needs. Read my lips. It will not. We don't need a political savior because there is no political savior. There is only one savior, and his name is the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's the only one that can save America now, whether you're an atheist or not. He's the only one. Is it too late for God to save America? I think not. God is on the throne right now, ready for that very mission we have been raised up to fulfill, to be accomplished. So let's talk to him right now. I'll pray, and you pray in your heart. I invite you to stand as we pray. Oh, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on us. Your word declares, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he chose for his inheritance. Holy Scripture promises righteousness exalts a nation, but sin condemns any people. Have we sinned away our day of opportunity? Have we squandered away your gifts? Have we abused away your children? Have we turned away time and again? When all of heaven was waiting to save us, Jesus, Son of David, please have mercy on us. Grant to us, won't you please, an extension of your mercy and your grace. Don't treat us as our sins deserve. In wrath, remember mercy. In judgment, remember grace. In discipline, oh, Lord, we don't want the word punishment. In discipline, remember compassion. We acknowledge our sins before you. And we humbly appeal for your divine forgiveness. God of our fathers and mothers, grant us, please, another chance. In the words of the poet, once to every man and nation comes a moment to decide in the strife of truth with falsehood for the good or evil side. If the poet is right, then, O oh God, we wish to choose the good side, your side, for America. Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on us. In a few hours, the election will be over. In a few days or weeks, the ballots will be counted, and the result will be announced. Oh, God, our Father, deliver us from evil and the evil one. Do not let the enemy incite our hearts to retaliation or goad our souls to reprisals. Teach us how a soft answer may yet turn away wrath. Teach us how to love our enemies and do good to those who hate us and bless those who curse us. Give us the heart and mind of Christ that even yet for America, supreme love for God and impartial love for our neighbors might yet prevail. Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on us and grant us one more chance that we might yet become the light of the world, the shining city on a hill that cannot be hidden. And if you cannot save the entire land, then blessed God, whether you save by few or by many, save the America we can touch and love and reach right here in this little town and on this beloved campus. America, America, God, shed your grace on us, please. For we come to you in the mighty name of Jesus.
who taught us to pray together, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. 